This morning we're going to talk about blessed to bless, okay? Community, blessed to blessed, and I want, to, I want to lead us on a little bit of a journey. It's a little bit different from what we've been doing, but I want to throw your mind back to the end of last year. We did a series around DNA, and our main idea or the main catchphrase from that whole series was being meaningfully part. Can you remember this? Being meaningfully part of a committed community is God's idea, of what is good for us. It's God's idea. Now this morning I want to add in one more little word. It shouldn't be up there yet. Being meaningfully part of a committed gospel community is God's idea what is, of what is good for me. And we're going to speak about that. So what, is this, what does this mean and why am I contending for this? So the first thing I want to say is that meaningful, when we, when we use a word like that, being meaningfully part of a committed community, we need to think, well, what does the word meaningful mean? What does the word committed mean? And I want to contend just very briefly for like 30 seconds that it doesn't, it's not something you can kind of tick box. So to say I've been meaningfully part of something does not simply mean that you came here on a Sunday morning and that you go faithfully to your Wednesday night life group. That's part of it. I don't think you can be meaningfully involved without that, but that's not only the essence of it. I want to go a little bit deeper and say that I think we know when we're meaningfully committed to something. Something of our heart gets given there. Do you know that feeling? Do you know what I mean? When you're meaningfully committed to something, it's pretty obvious when you take five minutes to stop and think about it. Then what is, what is gospel community? I added this because I thought, well, actually, there's a lot of things that are good for us. It would probably be quite good for me to join something I needed to run a little bit, like a hockey club. It could help. You know, It would be good for this body. Right, But it's not necessarily what we're talking about here. So a gospel community is actually the word ecclesia, which is the word for church, which literally means the gathering. There's nothing more mystical around it than people gathered, but they gathered around Jesus Christ. It's not a hobby group. It's not just a group of people that you like to get together with. Church is not, to put a little pin in some of your balloons, is not... Gathering in the mall with two of you having a coffee. Oh, I'm just doing church. No, you're not. You're doing something fun. You're doing something good. You're doing something with another Christian, perhaps, but you're not doing church. The Bible actually gives us biblical indicators, a pattern of what it is to do church or to live in gospel community together. And that means that we don't get to just make it up. I see this so much, guys, around the world right now. People just defining church however they want to define it, completely extra the biblical text. Like the Bible actually speaks to us about what it looks like. So as an example, shepherds and followers. The Bible is clear that there are shepherds given. Are there any shepherds in your, in your mall date? I hear people saying, well, I'm so, the church has hurt me and I understand that. I really do. I want to speak with kindness. I understand that there's been so many problems in church and leadership. But when we, when we shy away from it and we go to the space where it's like, well, we just, we gather in a home and I'm happy with that too. But no one's leading us. It's like this leaderless, leaderless thing. I'm saying, well, it's not biblical. You're doing something, but you're not doing what the Bible calls gospel community. Do you know that there's over a hundred phrases or uses of the phrase one another in just the New Testament, the phrase one another? I just want to appeal to your reason for a moment. How do you do all these instructions, all these 100 one another instructions? How do you 
prefer one another? How do you serve one another? How do you tolerate one another? Because what we're swinging towards is a, is a church culture where we want to curate our own church environment. And so if we don't like it, we turn it off. We sit at home, it's comfortable. And a lockdown has not helped us in this regard. We've grown used. I want to encourage some of you, some of you even watching at home, come back and join us. Come and join us. It's not intended. God did not intend us to be in this cycle of watching a YouTube video and turning to the next one because we didn't like that guy or whatever the case may be, listening only to Bethel. We need the messiness of church and people offending us and someone with the insecurity coming and saying something unhelpful. We need these things. I need these things. The gospel community is Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the preaching of the word, to the prayers to breaking bread together, to baptisms. Like we're going, I'm so excited to baptize. Guys, this week, I want to encourage you, this week I've heard of four people being saved in our alpha groups. Four! We, I want to weep with joy at the faithfulness of God for planting a seed in this community this year of expecting more. This is the beginning, guys, of the fruitfulness of people coming to faith. Now we've got to ask the questions around discipleship. What does that look like? Are you, are you with me? So let me throw out the question again. Are you meaningfully part? Are you committed part? Are you a committed part of a gospel community? That doesn't even have to be one hope. I'm not prescribing a certain church or a certain way of doing church. But I am asking, are we meaningfully committed part of a gospel community if you are God says this is so good for you I'm so glad you are it's so good for us to do this it's so good I want to say keep going push in don't get offended don't get offended serve love give of yourself if you aren't part of a meaningful committed gospel community I want to say with kindness in my heart you're outside of the prescribed pattern of God's will Big language for disobedient. You're missing out. And I want to acknowledge in the same breath that it's not easy. Man, have I seen church be hard. Have I felt personally church be hard? Have I disagreed with leaders? Have I struggled with relational tensions? I'm not in any way pointing to a perfect, easy thing. But I'm saying it's a God thing and He says it's good. You might not feel like it's good right now. You might not see that it's good. You might say, Paul, you have no idea the hurt I've endured. I say, God says it's good, so it's good. We'll see it down the line. One day we're going to know. So wherever your heart is at, I want to talk scripturally around why it is so precious, such a precious blessing to be part of a gospel community. All right, can we do that? And we're going to do a little bit of interaction this morning as well in a moment. But the, the, the theme is blessed to bless, that we are blessed and that we get to bless. So I'm going to just do four points this morning. One of them actually you're going to do, so I'm going to do three. The first one is this. It's a major gift of the past, present, and future. Community, gospel community, is a major gift from God of the past, the present, and the future. So let me speak to those briefly. The past... Let me ask it like this. What is the great gift of the Old Testament? 
What is it? Was it God financially blessing Israel? I mean, it's part of it. Was it God protecting Israel from the marauding Philistines and the armies that would attack them again and again? What is the, what is the actual gift that God gives the people of Israel? Surely it's to call them out as a community unto himself. Surely that's the gift. Surely the gift is not a thing, but it's God himself. Surely it's God saying, I will live with you, I will dwell with you, and you will be my people, Israel. I mean, listen to it. <laughs> listen to it here in Exodus 33, where Moses is contending with God, and he says in verse 16, How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? God, this is a mark of you being pleased with us, that you've put us in community, and you're part of this community too. And he carries on, and he says, What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What distinguishes the people of God? God himself among them as a community. This is why the tabernacle and the temple for the Jewish people are so precious. This is why it's so precious to them. It's not about a building. For them it's about the representation of God being among them. It was God who came and filled the temple. It was the most precious thing they can hold in their culture. God with us. Right? And now we come into the present. That's where we are, 2020. And we're talking about the already not yet. Like we, we know Jesus has come, but he hasn't come back again. All of this language we use. What is the gift for us? It's exactly the same thing. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. When you read with, with open eyes, when you read the, the Gospels, and you look at the way that the disciples and, and Luke and those writing the Gospels, how they marvel. What is it that they marvel about? That God would come and live among us. It's the, it's the, listen, listen to our one John, 1 John 1 verse 1, who's a disciple of Jesus. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Like this is God, right? This is the one who's been here forever. But this is the crazy part. Whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, guys. We touched him with our own hands. He's the word of life. And he came and he lived with us. This is the gift, right? And then Jesus goes and he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. We spoke about this three weeks ago and I was speaking on the Holy Spirit. It's better for you that I go. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you know what the beauty of the Holy Spirit is? It's that He gets to live in every single one of us. Now we don't have a temple out there somewhere that we must keep reverent and holy and make sure people who are not Jews go in there. Now we are the temple. And Christ Himself, Emmanuel, didn't just come into the world but comes into us. And the Holy Spirit didn't just hover over the surface of the deep like in Genesis 1, but He comes and He hovers in us and He fills us. This is why it's so powerful, right? And He, he puts us into these communities. Listen to the future. Listen to the future, Revelation, when all is wrapped up and Christ comes back again, Revelation 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne. Are you awake? I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. It's like you can feel the author saying, finally. You go and you follow this theme. It's, it's incredible, this theme of I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell with you. It starts right back in Genesis. 
It's throughout the prophets, throughout the word of God. This theme keeps coming back up. I will be your God and you will be my community, my ecclesia, my gathered ones, my church. These two ideas. And now in Revelation it says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Look at the fruit. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Why? Because finally God has a redeemed people and he lives among them. This is beautiful. Being meaningfully part of a committed gospel community is God's idea of what is good for me. It's God's idea of what is good for my family. Guys, I, I don't know, I don't, I hear so many people with little children say to me, I just want to bless my family for a season and keep them at home. We're just very busy. We have very busy weeks. My wife is exhausted. I understand those things. We have five. My wife's been in the kids' room for 12 years. She's ill today, so she's not here. But I want to just say with kindness, you are not blessing your family. You are not blessing your family to remove them. This is, this is the greatest blessing to have my children with me, worshiping, hearing the Word of God. Even when they get frustrated because they don't understand some of the things that I have to say, they're doing this to me. It's the greatest blessing we could ever give our family. And then look, at, look in Revelation again at this community. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, from every tribe, every people, every language. Can you find an individual on earth who does not fit into one of those categories? Standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes, pure spotless, not sinning anymore, and held palm branches. This was a sign of, of celebration or of, of the king coming home. And they shouted with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And some of us in our hearts, we say, oh, that sounds so good. I so want to be part of that one day. I just don't want to be part of it now. Can we not? <laughs> it it's boggles my mind. I know it's not perfect. I know it's broken. I know it's hard. I know that we aren't multicultural like what this looks like. I know all of these things, but I just, I just look at the experience of our human lives. Everything is toward trying to find community, right? That's why peer pressure works. Because I want to belong. I want to be part of something. What are all these music festivals about? Yes, it's good music. And yes, there's fun. But really, I want to belong. I want to be part of a community. What is Christmas about? It's about trying to be with people I love and be part of a community. And God says, I hardwired this into you. And this is the answer. As imperfect as it is right now, as broken as it is right now, as frustrating as it is right now, as much as it grates against your preferences and the way that you would rather sing worship 
or the way you'd rather the guy preached or you'd rather it was like this or rather it was like that. Yet still God says, this is my design and my gift. It's good for you. It's good for me. Are you with me? I want to challenge you. If you're tempted to check out, not, I'm not talking about One Hope. I'm talking about One Hope on one hand, but I'm talking about other, other communities, gospel communities that fulfill the scriptural mandate of the Word of God. Don't casually check out. Don't, don't casually check out, please. I, I implore you, don't unthinkingly swallow rubbish about the church and, and just that you don't really need a church community anymore. If you're going to do that, pray like crazy. Read your Bible like crazy. Think hard. Reason hard before you check out of gospel community. Okay. The second thing, second reason I want to speak about that Scripture gives us for this idea of community is that it's modeled in the Godhead. Father, Christ, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's modeled in God himself. So what we're going to do is that just for a few minutes, I'm actually going to throw it open to you. So if, you, if you're in a little family and you're comfortable to kind of turn and talk toward one another, I know we're all social distancing, or if you're online and you're watching the streamed um, video, just if you're with your family, even if you're alone, Google it, uh, talk about it, try and rack your brain to think about it. But I want you to, to just throw some ideas back at me about what Scripture shows us, actual verses. Like, give me some verses around what Scripture says about God living in community. All right, let's do that for a few minutes. And you don't have to know where the Scripture's from. If you just have like a rough paraphrase, you can give that to me in a few minutes. Go for it. It's two minutes together. Come on, I know they're out there. Yes, Daniel. Yeah, so Genesis 1, John 1, I think it's John 1, 1. Uh, speaking about, I'm just repeating for the guys that are there because they probably can't hear you on, online. Um, the Godhead 3 and 1, Father, Spirit, Son, see the Spirit hovering over the water, Jesus creating, the Father speaking. Think of Genesis 1, what about the, the beautiful phrase for me is, let us create in our image. You can't get more clear that there's a plurality of community going on in that moment. Let us create in our image right up front there. What else? Go on, Jono. Yeah. Jeremiah, I will be their God. They will be my people. I'll make my dwelling among them. God living with the, that's the God. That's God toward the earthly community. What else? Think about Jesus. Think about his ministry. Think about these things. Sergio, go for it. That's it. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, make the, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, modeling that plurality. Exactly. I think, I think we... Any others? Anyone else bubbling to say? Common? Was it a hand? No? Don't scratch your head in this moment, people. So think, I was thinking about the Gospels and I'm thinking about Jesus being baptized. And the Father, what does He say over His Son? This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And I was thinking almost in a more, in a more family kind of way, like a familial way, like how, how the Father and Jesus and the Son are constantly giving uh, almost glory and exaltation and deferring to one another. There's like this incredible humility that exists within the Godhead. You think of Jesus saying to the to crowds, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. 
My father sets the model. I'm busy doing it, but the Holy Spirit's busy empowering me. You see this community thing outworking. You see Philippians chapter 2. It says, God, speaking about the Father, has exalted Jesus to be the name above all names, to the right hand of the Father. And God is exalting Jesus in that moment. Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, it's better for you that I go because one is coming after me who will not leave you as unadopted children or as orphans. And he speaks about the Holy Spirit like that. Maybe one of my favorite ones is Acts chapter 2. And this is more by inference. But when the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost, I love to think what the church today would have done with that moment I think we would have stood up and done a 15-week series on the Holy Spirit. But you know what? Peter stands up and immediately begins to declare Jesus, which is the role of the Holy Spirit. There's this constant deference. And so here's my my kind of provocative, you could go to so many more verses that just show this unity among the Godhead, the humility among the Godhead, the working together. But what I'm I want to kind of provocatively throw out. So could this be good for God, but not good for us? That God himself lives in community, but somehow we're okay to say, you know what, Lord, for you it's good. I'm so grateful that you live in community. I'm so grateful that you call a community and you want to come and dwell. And like one of the main themes of the whole scripture is you coming to live among your people. But as for me and my house, we're okay on our own with our TV remote and my bra cup of coffee in my privatized religion. Are you with me? Is this just me? Can I have an amen? Amen. Just for some encouragement, personal edification. (laughs) But basically what it it boils down to when you really think about it is that if if we refuse the community, the earthly community that God has set us, set up for us, we are putting ourselves above God. And we're saying, you know what? Actually, I know better for my life. Thank you very much. And at, at its core, what is that? Absolute pride and arrogance, right? All right. The third thing we want to speak about this morning, and this is where it's going to get a lot more practical, is finding true family. Remember, we're speaking about blessed to bless or being blessed to bless. Finding true family. This is maybe the core of, of, the, of the benefit to us as believers. The first part of this is that we come into a relationship with the community of God, if I can say it like that, a love relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me make this very practical. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like the relationship with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with the Father. This came home to me so powerfully Uh, some time back. I I went through a, a very deep relational struggle with someone that I love very dearly and it was incredibly hard and I felt misunderstood, I felt misrepresented, I felt just broken to be honest and all the, the roots of, of offense wanting to take root in my heart and wanting to defend myself in, in the public sphere of your, your reputation, all of those things were massively at play with me and can I tell you what became and has remained for me the safest revelation or the safest place that I could ever go, the little cave that I could go to, was that I have this one relationship, the only relationship that I will ever have where the one person is completely sinless. 
where the one party in that relationship is completely never going to misunderstand me, never going to misrepresent me. He knows me to the depth of the core of my being, the things I don't even know about myself. He knows. It is the safest, most precious, most comforting relationship you could ever, ever know. And in that moment of, of this anxiety, earthly anxiety going on in my heart, I cannot tell you the comfort that I found in knowing that I could go into a room, close my eyes, and be with the one who would never sin. And I'm not saying that I felt like the other person was the only sinner in that thing. I brought my stuff to the party too. But what a comfort. And so that's the first place. So finding true family is that, 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 there's nothing like that relationship. But then by very nature of that relationship, it can't remain individualistic. Batesy spoke so beautifully last week around adoption and how we were adopted into the family of God. And so it's, it's the idea here and the whole of scripture actually, the language is not corporate. The church is using more and more corporate language. The language of scripture is family. It's family language. But it's like this. It's like saying, well, I want to be welcomed in by a father. I really need a father. It would be so nice to have a father. But you know what? I don't like all you little critters who are his other adopted children. <laughs> Effectively. So we want the father relationship, but we do not want the community that he places us within. Because when you come to Christ, it's a, it's a completely faulty doctrine to think that it's an individualistic thing, that you coming to Christ on your own. In that moment, you come and you're welcomed into Christ, but you're also welcomed into family. That's the scriptural teaching. There's no such thing as coming to Christ without coming to Christ's family. I think you get it, right? Now, I want, to, I want to just say this so positively. This is what Scripture says. Man, if you go and read about this, the blessing of coming into the community of God, this is some of the stuff you'll find. Psalm 68, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. Man, I love that verse. I've been reading a great book by Sam Albury around singleness. Seven myths of singleness. It's powerful. But what he makes, he makes the point around this verse 6, God places the lonely in families, is that it needs two things. It needs lonely people. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them around. And then God, we all say, oh, God places the lonely in families. Praise God. Isn't he great? Well, whose family is he placing them in? Your family. My family. Oh God, sure, that's quite tough. Had a long week, you know. God, my budget doesn't quite stretch to have a lot of other people in my home. And he, he puts out this challenge, which I think has just been so incredibly provocative in my own heart, where he's saying, how, how porous are your family boundaries? Are we becoming more and more just me and my, well, for me, it's pretty significantly large, but me and my, my few kids... And that's it. We have a car that's just big enough for us. We have a family budget that's just big enough for us. We have a, a holiday resort that's just big enough for us to go to. And no one is allowed into our homes. We say, oh, praise you, God, that you put the lonely in families. Right? But I'm supposed to be being very positive here, not provocative, Paul. Not provocative, positive. God puts us in families and the community is where we find those families. God reparents us. 
And I think the world is facing a crisis of identity like we've never seen. Sexual identity, gender identity. I don't know how many genders there are now. There's apparently like 50-something official genders. How many? 72, 72 my daughter says. I have no idea. All right? But, but we're facing these, these crises and we need to be reparented and our identity needs to be found in God like I don't know if a generation before us has ever needed it this much. Galatians 4 verse 7 says, You are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. I think of my own personal testimony. 18 years old, you would not recognize me. I was so insecure. Struggling with insecurity, struggling with identity. God placed me in a family, in a home, a church in Peter Maritzburg where four older men got hold of my life and I cried for four or five years. There's so much of my snot still left on that church floor. I remember going home and I'm serious, lying on my bed in the fetal position and weeping and weeping for hours as God reshaped my identity. But He didn't do it in a vacuum with my coffee cup and my Bible and my nice little nook of my lounge. Although He did things in those moments too. But the primary thing if I look back in God reparenting me was through those men who were fathers in my life. And I had a good earthly father. And I still came out with all these identity things. What if you had a bad earthly father? How much more? And what that meant is that they opened their home. They took me on trips with them. I'm sure looking back that there were some moments where I rocked up at their house unannounced and they thought, oh no, not tonight. But they didn't say that. They opened the door and said, so nice to see you. Come on in. I babysat their children. I went on holiday with them. And God profoundly reparented me. And like I say, my mom and dad are amazing. Still, broken product of broken world. I think of God setting us in true family. And I think of the number of, especially our younger generation, coming through into our varsities who have only experienced family brokenness. It's their only paradigm, guys. Divorce, abuse, brokenness, absent fathers is their only paradigm. And God sets us in a family where we get to relearn. We can go into a home and watch a marriage as God intended with all its faults, with all its irritating things. We can look at it and say, wow, that's what my family could have been. That's what I want my family to be. God comes in these moments. Older woman, teach younger woman, Scripture says. Older men, teach younger men. Disciple, careful. The last point I want to make this morning, and I know I've gone a little bit long already. I'm sorry. I truly am. A billboard of hope, number four. This is where it turns the coin on the other side. Blessed to bless to bless. And I want to say that without taking one little tiny dot away from what I've been saying this morning, that the end of gospel community is not simply the community itself, as wonderful as that is, as powerful as that is. The other side of the coin is that the end of gospel community is to reflect something to the world of who God is. How will they know that we are God's disciples? Because we have Love one for another. Oh, but I just love God. I just don't like the church. The Bible doesn't understand that. 
I just want to worship God forever and ever and be on the floor and soaking and, and full of the Holy Spirit, but I don't really want to sort out my relationships with people around me in the church. The Bible doesn't understand that. It, it really doesn't. And so the, the, this, this community, if we do community the way that God instructs us to do community, is deeply missional. I want, to, I want to contend that it's perhaps one of the most powerful apologetics we can hold up to the world. Yes, we can learn about creation and evolution and all these other apologetics. We want to go and we want to put them out. And, and they're powerful and they're helpful. And thank God for the life of Ravi Zacharias and everything that he's brought into our understanding. But I think there's a more powerful exegesis. There's a more powerful apologetic. And it's holding up to the dark family landscape that the world is throwing up right now. And it's saying, there's another way. Look. Look at this community and I'm speaking with hope into what we are trusting God to continue doing in, in our midst and other churches midst the more selfish and self-centered and me focused we become guys I cannot believe the amount of selfies on Instagram we have never been so obsessed with ourselves ever the society is so me-obsessed, and the more focused we become on ourselves, the more we need someone to hold up the Godhead and say, but look, but look at the humility one to another. Look how this one defers to this one and praises this one and this community going on in the Godhead. The more segregated and angry and partisan the world becomes. How dark is the world right now? The more injustice we see, we get to hold up a community of promise and say there's a day coming and it's even here among us now where every nation, every tribe, every people, every language will be in unity and there will be no more sin. They'll be dressed in white. We'll be waving palm branches and celebrating and worshiping our creator. And so as you in your heart say, I'm going to commit to a meaningful expression of gospel community, we hold up a powerful billboard of hope to the watching world. It's a powerful missional statement. One hope. Let me ask us again this morning, are we this community? Are we a community that people can look in? Do we want to be this community? Because it's hard. It's much easier to get across with someone and just go to another church. Much easier. And what we get to do effectively is to hold like an arrow. You know, like sometimes at the, at the robots, you see someone dressed in a funny suit and like holding an arrow, go this way to buy Elgin chicken or something. We get to ho hold up an arrow as a community and we get to say, this way to hope, this way to healing, this way to how family should work, this way to how community is God envisioned it and all of it is ultimately saying this is who God is this is who he is this is what God has done in our hearts and this is what God is longing to do in you it's missional blessed to bless I want to introduce you to a little phrase this morning called righteous rebellion Righteous rebellion. And it goes like this. Every time that we choose to preserve gospel community, we're engaging in the great task of displaying God. And every act is righteous rebellion. This is how it works. You get hurt. You're desperate. 
to tell everybody what a so-and-so this person was. And you shut your mouth. And you let God work in your heart and deal with that situation. You're righteously rebellious in that moment. You're holding something more precious than yourself. You're holding a community. And you're saying, I'm not going to let this poison out among my brothers and sisters. Shut my mouth. Righteous rebellion. It works like this. You work on your marriage, not simply because you want to have a great marriage, but because you realize that the community that you're part of need to see a God-honoring marriage. Righteous rebellion. You choose again and again in your conversations to give the benefit of the doubt to someone, even when they don't deserve it. You choose that over cynicism. Righteous rebellion. You choose to give away stuff rather than hoarding it all in your garage in a way that you can't even find it or use it. You just give it away. Thank you, Johannes and Ali, for that umbrella that you gave us four years ago. It just has been amazing. Could have just sat in their garage. We give away instead of hoarding. Righteous rebellion. We, we learn hospitality. Come see my parenting. Gosh, I don't feel like having people after I've preached. But come. Who's ever coming for lunch today? We can't wait to have you. Come and see how I enact my singleness in a righteous way before God and before the community of people. We need to see this lived out. Righteous rebellion. When we choose to re-engage with church community rather than to isolate and privatize our faith because we've been deeply hurt. And not for a moment am I minimizing your pain. Not for a moment am I siding with the church and saying, well, she's always right, you must be wrong. Man, I've seen it, I'm part of it, I do it, I'm the idiot. But we choose to re-engage. Righteous rebellion. Every time we act justly towards the unjust. Righteous rebellion. Let me finish off just speaking to Christians. Do we live like this? Are we meaningfully part of a committed community? Are our family lives porous? Does our budget have enough in it to have other people over for dinner? I'm talking about practical things. Can we open our homes, open our holidays? That's hard. Are we trusting Jesus to lead us into more and more gospel community? I'm going to leave that with the Holy Spirit to keep working that in your heart. Let me speak to you if you don't know Jesus. Man, I know you've seen some stuff around this community. We are dreaming of a community in Revelation 21, Revelation 7. These are the communities we're dreaming of. We know we're not that right now, but you can find some of that, some of this beauty. The gospel community is for you, and as you come to Jesus, this is your family. Watson, Watson, all. So here's three things I want you to do. We can do these later on. How do we respond? I think one, repent. They're all R's, so they're easy to remember. One, repent. I think many of us need to come before God and examine our attitudes, examine the conversations we've had, examine the reputations we've assassinated around an afternoon bra. We need to think about how we speak about the church, God's people, other churches. Guys, can I just tell you what a... This week, Bates and I took six other pastors, seven different churches, on Thursday morning, and we went away until Saturday. We had so much fun. All Stellenbosch, Stellenbosch pastors, where God's been just stirring unity in our hearts. Can I tell you what joy it was? 
to just be with brothers. And we spend the evenings, we, we had all together, just laughing. Just conversation turns to deep things. And just walking away with a deep sense of these brothers and sisters in Christ that are leading churches in Stellenbosch love Jesus. Man, they do some stuff so silly in my book. And I do some stuff so silly in their book. But we love Jesus. We need to repent of the way that we've spoken about these things. Then I want to ask you to remember. I think some of us know this. But we've forgotten. We know that God wants us to open our homes. Maybe we've even done it in the past. Maybe we've been more meaningfully part of community in the past. And we've forgotten. It's okay. Let's remember. Let's take ourselves to God and say, God, tell me again why this is good. And then I think the, the last one is we need to recommit. This is actually just a, a moment where before God, we're saying, God, I want to covenant again to these people. I want to marry this group again. I want to live and, and dwell among these, these fallible people. Can I pray for us as we close? Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the, the way that you have created this to work like this. And Father, we look forward not just to a day where it will all be perfect and wonderful, but we thank you that you are teaching us and changing us now for that to be our reality more and more. Teach us how to do family. Teach us how to do justice. Teach us how to do caring for one another. Teach us how to deal with our offenses. Lord, these are practical things and we look to you the godhead who's modeled perfect community past present future you've always done it you always will do it it always will be your plan it's never going to change and i ask that you'd come and that the seeds that i'm throwing out here this morning would blossom in our lives father would we hear story after story of people who take this word and practically run with it in their lives Change us, Lord. Lord, there are lonely people crying out for homes and for families. There are single people feeling lost and alone who desperately need other single people to come and join them and love them and show them how to do it in a godly way. Lord, so many scenarios. Commit them to you in the name of Jesus. We bless your name. Thank you for this morning. Amen and amen. Go well. Be blessed. Think on these things. Let them percolate in your heart. Think how to practically let the Spirit of God change our lives. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday.